Welcome to Pros and Cons, a podcast by writers for writers, brought to you by Precipice Fiction. Precipice Fiction would like to acknowledge the people of the Eora and Dorag Nations as the original custodians and storytellers of the land this podcast was created on. Welcome to the Pros and Cons podcast, a podcast by emerging writers for emerging writers because sometimes we feel like pros and sometimes we feel like cons. Today, we have this super amazing, eclectic, extraordinary group of writers coming all the way from New Zealand. We have Paddy Boylan. Hello. From sunny Barcelona, we have Phoenix. Hello. And the one, the only, fresh off a sale, which I will not ruin because I don't know if I can, is Alex Eldridge. G'day. Well, uh, first of all, I'll just drop it at Alex. You sold a story. That's that's I important. Did. Yes, it's very exciting. I um I I have been look, you know what the publishing world's like, so until it's in in print, I'm going to be a little bit, you know, but uh no, I sold a story to the big issue, which is quite a big um sort issue. of publication in in uh <laughs> But yeah, it's quite a big issue, that's right. But no, specifically it was the fiction uh, edition, which is yeah. kind of a little bit more prestigious. I think they said they got 700 uh, entries and they will probably Ooh. publish about 10 to 15. So wow, pretty good odds. So I was pretty stoked about that. And you get like 500 bucks for it. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's pretty, pretty exciting. I'm pretty that's happy. Really cool. yeah, that, that is good. I still think you should serialize it. Um, it's, it strikes it. me as exactly the kind of story <laughs> that would make a good ongoing series. It's like kind of the adventures of this bubbling neurotic individual who kind of can't get out of his own way. Is that a good way to describe yeah, it, Alex? Yeah, I think that, and he strikes me as a character that just these sorts of situations would happen to all the time. Mm. Uh, yeah. Kind of like Mr. Bean, but more painfully aware of himself. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually like not angry, the worst. An angry Mr. Bean, yeah. maybe. Uh, yeah. Look, yeah. I'll just say, Alex, this is super great. Uh, as an emerging, emerging writers in general, short stories are, in a way, they're the stepping stones towards having mm. a successful launch for your novel. Uh, even if you're going to self-publish, even if you're going to publish traditionally, uh, short stories are so important on the way. And honestly, they're a really good way to craft your writing, to just to just get yeah. better, even beyond the recognition and having more things to put on your resume. Um, with that being said, we got a really cool podcast coming today. We're going to discuss settings as the title of the podcast would probably let you know. But before that, guys, what have you been reading? What have you been watching? What has been occupying your time? Let's go with Paddy, who's smiling, so, waiting for me to suggest him. <laughs> James recommends a lot of books, and James recommends a lot of books that interest me in particular. And like a year ago at a party, James recommends, between us drinking large quantities of beer, this book called Imperium by uh, Robert Harris. Robert Harris who's a historian, I think. I've already read one work of his called Conclave, which is about the election of a pope, which was really good. He does like a lot of halls of power drama and like kind of political machinations type stuff. This is about uh, ancient Rome. And I'm going to talk about it a little in this episode, so I won't give too much away. But um, it's very good. It's very good. It's moving at a very fast pace. And I've actually found that I don't, I would prefer it to slow down a little bit. Um, I prefer mm, to take a little bit okay. more of its time, but it's, it's very readable, very good. Mm. How big is it? Not very big. Um, I couldn't say uh, yay big for anyone watching, for anyone listening. Just imagine a size. Not 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 particularly long. <laughs> Could it stop a yeah. school door? Like a sco <laughs> schools have a big door. Yes, but yes, not to okay. any significant degree. 
<laughs> Very important questions. That's yeah, if you used it reasons. to stop a door, you'd stop the door about this much. Yeah, about yay <laughs> for, much. for anyone watching, yeah. you'd yeah. Uh... exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, cool, Alex. What have you been up to? Yeah, so I actually went out with a friend yesterday and saw Oppenheimer, um, and I was pleasantly surprised. Full disclaimer: I have uh, cooled a little bit on Christopher Nolan's work, especially after seeing Tenet, which no. <laughs> Just not for me. We know your feelings about Tenet. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I could speak for hours on, on Tenet, but I won't. Um, yeah, I saw it. It was good. It was um, it, a, a lot of the, just the weird little bugbears and things he usually has, like the, the sound overtaking the dialogue and stuff were just kind of, the edges were sanded off a bit, which was good. It was a very engaging three hours. So like, I give it a tentative thumbs up. It was, it was good. I, I, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Other than that, I've been reading... Um, uh, a book by Keelan Patrick Burke, who we, I actually interviewed on here recently. Nice. I've been reading that, mm, uh, which yeah, is basically yeah. about, I actually forget the name of it. I think it's Strangers or something. Anyway, it's just a horror sort of thing. It's really well written. He's, he's just like a master of his craft. So I've been going through that. And yeah, it's been, that's been really good. Awesome. Listeners, after this, check out our interview with Keelan Patrick Burke, Master of Horror by Alex Aldridge. <laughs> yeah, notes in the comments. Yeah, we'll also probably plug Alex's story once it's out. Uh, Phoenix, hello. Yeah, um, hello. I've actually finally gotten back on like the reading horse after what felt like a while of being off of it, where I've kind of found a time where it fits into my day and I kind of uh, enjoy doing it that time. Um, so I've been I've been going deeper into Frankenstein for that and plowing through it. Also, mm. I think what happened is I finally it took me a while to like officially get into that book, but it finally mm. happened about halfway through. There was a moment where I was like, ooh, like I really like. Found, I fell into the story and that what, felt what great. What was the moment? Spoilers for Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, so it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was the moment where um, uh, Frankenstein is talking to, or Frankenstein's monster is talking to him for the first time. And he's giving, he's telling his story about how he was observing the family in the cabin from his like little crawl space. And he was like learning. It's how he learned language and how he learned a lot about the world was through observing this family and something about that small space and just like observing this family through this little hole in a wall. Like, I don't know. I love stuff like that. Just like mm. tiny the settings, not doing much. Like there's not a lot going on. We're just going to watch this little family do these everyday things. Yeah. Like that's right in my wheel. That's, that's right in my pocket. Mm. So sometimes you discover what you like without expecting to. Like you just mm -hmm. kind of find it. You're like, oh, I guess this is my thing. Yeah. Nice. I really struggle with that book. Actually. Oh, yeah. no, it's like, uh, I, I mean, I was struggling with it for a while, too. And then I got to this and it was really like, um, yeah, I don't know, like World According to Garp by John Irving. I love that book. And there are some chapters that are just like one chapter where he's literally wandering around the house trying to think of names for his novel that he's writing. And it's just like him going through the phone book, explaining it. He's like, oh, I got to go make dinner and like pick up the kids. Like it's all very domestic. And I was like, yeah, tell me about this domestic life. Like what's what's going on? Which is hilarious because you're reading one of the like most well-known monster stories in history. Yeah, and, and it's what, just this and quiet, what you cute little... He's grocery shopping with mom and dad. That's like, yeah, yeah. that's sweet. Uh, I think it says a lot about you. Yeah. Thank you, Phoenix. Thank you guys for sharing. Mm -hmm. I'll just share about myself. First of all, I'm still reading uh, Hilary Mantel's final book in the Wolf Hall trilogy. It's called uh, The Mirror and the Light. I'm about page 200-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm enjoying it. I am enjoying it. There are some chinks in the armor. Uh, the previous two books felt like they had a different kind of story to tell. This one feels closer to 
it feels like the character itself knows he's summarizing his life, which I didn't feel as much in the previous two books. I will hold my verdict until I finish it. I am enjoying it mm. so much. I still love the prose. I still love the main character, Thomas Cromwell. Uh, mm. I think it's a great book. Uh, I did go yesterday to watch Barbie, which nice. I, I, I walked out of that cinema sparkling, okay? My soul <laughs> has been placed in the cosmic laundry machine and has been cleaned <laughs> of all the oh evils and burdens of humanity. And oh my nice. God. I'll come back. It's, I am, I'm a new me. I feel like I got to go buy something pink to wear. No, jokes aside, I really like the movie. It's great. It is innocent without being ignorant, if that makes sense. It is aware. Uh, yeah. Without being naive. Yeah, it, it's like, it is aware of, of how naive the main character is. And it doesn't mock her for that. It allows her to almost gently open up to see what's around her without breaking, without telling her off like, oh, look at you being so innocent. You're too innocent for this world. I don't want to spoil it. I loved it. I, I walked out with a great feeling. I never played Barbie in my life, so I'm sure a lot of Easter eggs went straight over my head. But, but now you're going to go out and buy the whole playhouse. Oh, absolutely. My wife has played with Barbies, and she insisted we sit through the credits because they were showing Barbie dolls from across the years. And she's like, oh, oh I know wow. that one. Oh, I know that one. <laughs> That's awesome. Whoa. That was that was me. Go watch Barbie. Oppenheimer is next. Hmm. Alex, I'm glad you said it wasn't bad. I expected yeah, no, it was, to be definitely better. Wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely a good movie. I'd say a solid eight, eight out of ten. Okay, sure. that's good. Ooh, yeah, that's good. With that being said, let's jump right into settings, guys. This is something I wanted to do for a while because I believe it's one of the pillars of our story, especially in speculative fiction, where we put so much mm. effort and love into our settings. So mm. when we craft our story, there are so many elements to consider. Oftentimes, we divide those into fundamental questions that help us flesh out our story. Some writers start with character. Who are the people, or in some cases, colorful horses, who inhibit your story? Some writers put more focus on the what. What is happening in your story? Is there a magical ring to destroy? A horde of undead to escape? Or is it just the story of an awkward and neurotic magician's apprentice trying to undo a fuck-up of biblical proportions? But every story needs a background. And in speculative fiction, which is fantasy, horror, sci-fi, and everything we love in precipice fiction, we often love to give that background a lot of attention. Some settings feel irreplaceable. Others can be changed without damaging the, the heart of the story and the themes. But for example, what is Star Wars without Tatooine? What's Harry Potter without Hogwarts? And what's a good Stephen King novel without Maine, New England. So sometimes we can replace them, sometimes we can. So how do we even pick the right setting and what is there to pick? That's what we're going to break down today and we're going to ask our beautiful writers here questions about settings. But first I'll explain what parameters we're going to discuss today. Obviously some writers would divide the settings into different parameters. These are the ones we chose here in Precipice Fiction on our pod today. And this is the gist of it. There are three main types of settings we need to consider when writing our story. Okay, three. Number one is the temporal settings. In which time frame does the story take place? Or is it so common in speculative fiction, which time frame in history does the story imitate? What do I mean? Harry Potter takes place in an alternative universe, right? It's not our universe. It's a universe just like ours. But that universe is clearly in its version of the 90s, if that makes sense. 
That's why you don't see Hermione use Google Drive to memorize Spellman. <laughs> The same could be said for Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, different universe, but it clearly imitates and draws inspiration from our Middle Ages. So that, in a way, is the temporal settings. If Tolkien opted for, let's say, 16th century, maybe you see Legolas with a pair of flintlock pistols instead of a bow and arrow, which maybe you can still tell the same story. But that's how the temporal settings can affect a speculative fiction story. Some stories are a bit more black and white. The story takes place in... 1945, uh, Eastern Germany. But in fiction, we imitate a period of history a lot of times. The second one is the physical setting. This is maybe the easy one. Where does your story physically take place? Is it an adventure spanning multiple kingdoms? Or does it take place in one location? For example, in the life of Pi, uh, you got the whole story taking place more or less on a lifeboat with a tiger. And finally, the tricky one cultural or social settings. What are the rules or parameters of the culture of society? Are women expected not to go to war, like in Lord of the Rings? Are dark-eyed people looked down upon, like in the Stormlight Archives? Is it the story of the ultra-rich and how they shape the world around them? Or is it the story of a street kid trying to get a better life, like in Oliver Twist? And perhaps something to be considered a bit more delicately, especially in today's world. What are the biases of the world you created? Are elves paragons of beauty and power? Or are they second-class citizens that are not allowed into most establishments? Are your orcs mindless pawns? Or are they a people with their own needs, desires, and even humanity? So these are the three questions we got to ask ourselves. What is the temporal setting? Or what is the temporal setting we are imitating or drawing from? What is the physical setting? Where is the story? How much does it move? What is the social and cultural setting? With that out of the way, guys, are there any example of settings that you think really contributed to making a story stand out or just a setting that you guys really loved? The first thing that comes to mind, well, the first thing that came to mind was the many, many fantasy books I've read were all like fantasy slash sci-fi slash speculative fiction authors. And fantasy obviously is, it's all about the setting, right? Sometimes at the expense of the story and characters. But Alice in Wonderland, Ooh. Ah. what's interesting is it's all just Victorian objects and trucks. There's teapots, there's croquet, there's the queen, really familiar things. But it's the snow globe is shaken up and everything gets thrown around. So it's all recombined into the fantastic. And yeah, it's for children, but it's it's mad. The setting is like the whole story. Mm. Alice in Wonderland, it's more like Wonderland... And Alice is there. <laughs> it's even in the title. Like, that's how big yeah. it is as part of the story. Alice yeah. makes Wonderland. Yeah, it's like a, yeah. Yeah, it's a fever dream. Yeah. It, it is a fever dream. Mm. And this topic, when I was thinking about it, made me think like, yeah, there are certain stories where it is about the setting. The setting is like 90% of it. And the consequences of that setting, and what the characters do as a result of that, is just how the author explores it. Yeah, uh, mm. Alice in Newtown doesn't hit as hard, does it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a it's a different way. very yeah, different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very different story. Um, I'm going to be really like wanky and epigrammatic, epigrammatical here and, and suggest yeah. something because I always think of settings. Settings usually inspire me to write stories. It's, I usually think of a place and then I'm inspired to do that. But then I populate it with characters. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mm. put out a little thing here and say, the setting asks the questions and then the characters provide the answers to it. Ooh, that's, okay. That's, wow. a, uh, that's a frame in which to look at that from. So for example, 
like I don't know if you look at I'd say Lord of the Rings for lack of no let's say Dune let's say Dune Dune is that's easy a to Dune think of. yeah it's on a big spice planet it's on a big desert sort of thing all all the sort of machination just sort of set up and then it's kind of the choices that the characters make you've got the chessboard and it's all set up and then mm. the story is what you do with the pieces and the pieces of the characters you know it's almost mm. like a a dungeon master in a in a dungeon and yeah. dragons game. Yeah, totally. You set up the conflicts and then just let the characters interact with them. Obviously, not all stories are like that. Mm. Some conflicts come from within the character. Mm. In Dune, obviously, the conflict comes from the outside. There's this intergalactic thing going on. And it's not necessarily just what happens inside our main character. Mm. Just off of what you said, Alex, I, I love using this reduction of storytelling as a tool, is imagining... I've said this before on the podcast, but I think about it all the time because I think it works really well. Just like imagine going out for the day and something happens and when you get back, you want to tell your mom about it. Because in the end, that's storytelling. You're telling a story, but it's just... And if you can you can reduce, you can map a story to the story of what happened to your day. Like, all right, you got to tell your mom what happened. So in order to tell your mom what happened, in order for her to feel just as excited as you, you have to give her the context. Who does she need to know? What does she need to know in order for the drop of the story to feel significant? And that's all we're doing in a story anyway. We're setting up context. We're setting up setting. We're setting up the people mm -hmm. who, we, like, what do we need to know about them? Who was there? And then we drop it all in. What happened? So the setting is just like, you know, if you're going to the mall, it's uh, your setting is the mall. You need to know. And your setting is the greater planet Earth as well. Like, you have your setting. You have your cultures, the space, the temporal, all of it's there. And then the next thing that happens for the story is something needs to happen. An event kicks it off or an, a moment of intrigue happens. And then it's just that moment of intrigue playing out amongst your characters in this setting. Like you have your setting, mm. your characters in it, and then that's your Petri dish. And then you drop in an event and or an idea or something drops, pops in. And that's your story. Phoenix, I'm going to, I don't know if I should use the word challenge, but I'm going to question you because you're your story, me. just your... say it, just say it, Matan. <laughs> I'm going to push you to the edge, buddy. <laughs> okay. uh, your story, your award nominated story is a um. good example of, of mixing three types of settings masterfully because you got, uh, you got temporal setting, mm. right? In your story, Enter Elias Schmidt. You got this temporal setting that starts in an alternative history of ours that is very recognizable and goes mm -hmm. into a temporal setting in the future, which is less recognizable. And therefore, the cultural setting has been altered dramatically by the altered temporal setting. I hope I'm still making mm -hmm. sense. And then you go actually into having a pretty traditional physical setting for the final act of your story. So mm -hmm. I'm asking, I'm challenging you. If we moved your story to a different temporal zone, could it still mm. occur in the same way? If it didn't start in the 50s and end up in an alternative uh, contemporary time, could you still mm. tell that story? Um, no, I would say not, just because that set, it, the setting was key for it. It was that particular moment in technological development that set mm. the things off. Yeah, so it was like, based off of what I was saying, it was like, you have the 1950s, and then it's like, and then what happened? Our story starts here. This guy had this idea. And then from there, you blow on it, and you see what happens. But no, you couldn't do that in another time. The, that was actually one where the, the setting, temporal setting yeah, was very married to the plot. Yeah. yeah. 
and building toward the current setting. I mean, like you exactly. say, you start in the past and end up in the future. Thinking about it, I haven't read many stories where at the beginning you see how the setting became as it is. Often we just start in the setting as yes. it is. Mm. But in yours, you started in one setting and then showed us how it became another. So by the time we get to the science fiction setting that it results in, I think we feel more invested because we no, know exactly right. how it got there, the quirks of fate and history that ended up. Well, I'm not going to say what happens. You read this <laughs> award-nominated story by the, the new mythic is available on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting approach to setting. It's showing how the setting fractals out from like the original seed to become think, the one that the story proper will take place in. It makes us accept the alternative contemporary setting because we see how it came to be. Otherwise, yeah. if someone mm. told me, yeah, it's not 2077, it's actually 2020, and this is what's yeah. happening, I would be like, mm. wait, but why? <laughs> or if they just told us, like, this is a world with humanoid robots, like, okay, we've seen that before, cool, I mean, that's nothing remarkable, but you showed the really interesting evolution to how we got there that, that mm. made it different. It it almost reminds mm. me of uh, Isaac Asimov's Foundation series in mm. in which yeah. it shows yeah. the development of how it went through, um, and you sort of did that first the first uh, arc of it is sort of, um, it's very much like God's eye view and just like moving through it sort of uh, fairly quickly. I think you did it within like a thousand words or so. And then it, it drops into the uh, the more intimate third person where it's just like, okay, these are the characters that are then going to mm -hmm. uh, flesh out where this is going, you know? For my next question, actually, I wrote it down as two and two A. I'm going to combine it into one. Uh Question two was, do you think there are any tropes that should be avoided in our genres when we make settings? Question two A was, do you have any advice on creating settings that is fresh, but still scratch that itch that the readers are going for? Because if they want a fantasy swords and sandals thing, you should give them the swords and the sandals. You shouldn't like leave them waiting for it. It's really interesting to ask you guys, because Alex, you've been writing a lot of very similar to our own uh, world but like it's our world mm. but the house is trying to kill you it's our world yeah but something changed yeah well well i like to play i like to play around with that a lot like this sense of like hey here is the basic set piece for where it is and it's something you're very familiar with but then that's something i've been playing a lot with in in recent things i've been writing is then there's this other thing that is connected to this world a sort of alternate universe thing uh where some of the rules just don't apply where some things are just wildly different and i think the way to sell that at least for me is like i remember thinking back this isn't a tangent just give me a second i remember <laughs> thinking back when i was uh, a lot younger and listening to the arctic monkeys records and just thinking wow this is these lyrics are really good why are they so good and you listen back to it and you realize that the interesting part of it is how specific the details are like talking about being at a club and ordering a smonaf ice specifically or like the, the color of someone's button on their jacket and you're like it's the details mm. and you don't have to give all the details you just have to give a few very specific details that kind of triangulate you like where you are in a cultural setting like if you if, if you tell me there's a race of of like alien fairies or something i'm like okay cool that's fine alien but, but if you describe if you describe that how their wings have sort of like an exoskeleton that shines a bit like metal and they have these like lights going through it that's like that takes you like maybe a sentence, but then suddenly you go, oh, okay, so these are maybe mechanically based or there's something. So there's like, if you, if you inject really tiny details into settings, I think that really, really does a lot for, for giving it verisimilitude, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it did. Do you guys know the author Harukai Mikami, the Japanese author? Yeah. 
Haruki. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phoenix, you'd love his stuff. Actually, if, of everyone I could think um, of in the group, I think mm. you'd really be into him. Yeah, you would. He writes very dreamlike magical realism. There's this book called Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World. Crazy title. And Alex, he does that thing you're talking about where he's like, he goes out of his way to really specifically mention consumer products and certain albums and the specific type of pimento that he's using on the sandwich that he's making. And he does it to really firmly ground you in this specific contemporary setting, because there's this other really psychedelic, surreal setting that he uses to juxtapose that. So by making you feel really grounded in the real world, the stranger setting feels even more different and alien. Mm. Yeah, by dint of contrast, right? Yeah, yeah. But he does those specific things, like mentioning brands, mentioning specific music artists. It's um, mm. yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of that. But is there like a sci-fi or fantasy setting trope that you're like, ah, oh, this again? Again, there's a secret guild of assassins with hot chicks and daggers. Like, mm. yeah, I I yeah. watched the like Dracula by uh, he's the showrunner for for Doctor Who for a while. Oh, the BBC Dracula. Off, yeah, it starts off really good. Like, yeah, the first it does. Episode is amazing. Like, really good. Then as it goes off, it's like, oh, there's a cult of secret people who want to rule the like it's just it's the most vague but yeah i think like secret mm. cults and just generic like oh is it conspiracy theory that's one that really grinds my gears wouldn't say you can't use it ever it's just it's an easy it's easy and cheap if you're just like oh yeah there's a secret cult and that explains why why thing things have that's, been happening the way they have yeah. yeah yeah it's it's like a what's the word it's a um cliche cliche yeah, it's sort of a, it's sort uh, it is yeah, a cliche yeah yeah, yeah. Just cheap. Yeah, the the generic like very romanticized medieval past sort of thing is mm. used a lot, and I think that's because you know our generation is very Tolkien leaning or very Tolkien influenced. So we have the Lord of the Rings, oh, yeah. as well as we recently had Game of Thrones yes. also set there. So it's like we have a lot of these examples that are just these big, beautiful medieval scenes. Although, um, seeing as Game of Thrones is kind of a subversion to, I think it Lord kind of, of pushed the, the pendulum, romanticizes it. Mm. Yeah, the, the pendulum's yeah. on the other side. We're now, yeah, I think a lot more books have the F word in them as a direct result of uh, George R. R. Martin. Mm, that's the word. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do feel like some of the earliest settings I ever made for stories were either a direct plagiarism of Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. That's I just saw these books and I'm like, ooh, I want to write that kind of story. So. I'm going to say to your question of other things that grind your gears, you think you had done overly much. I'm going to say no, so long oh. as they're approached, so long as they're not like the fact that you've got elves who are agile and good archers, so long as that's not the thing. There's plenty of fantasy works I can think of where, I mean, like, for example, The Witcher, right? The Witcher has yep. elves and dwarves, and in many ways, it's a conventional fantasy setting, but it's not about that. It's about the grittiness and the characters and the individual tales. I think if you've mm. got that stuff, like let's say you're writing a space opera and there's like spaceships with warp drives and they go to different planets, stuff like that. That's fine. So long as that's not the main attraction, so long as that's not like what you're making it about. If that's all backdrop for the characters, then it's a really good shorthand that lets you not have to reinvent the wheel and describe all of this new setting stuff. If you can just go, yeah, there's elves and dwarves. Yeah, there's there's knights. That way, the audience just knows what's going on, so you can move on to you know, telling the story. Yeah, yeah it's definitely that's that's what I was thinking around like the medieval setting. It's like seeing as it is so done. It's like I love like what you said. It's a shorthand. It is like the audience will be right there with you as soon as you mention a few key things. It's like we know exactly where you are because we're all 
you know, culturally we're in the same place. So it's like, it is a great shorthand to get an audience to someplace very quickly. So it's almost like, because you're like standing on the shoulders of previous authors and you could kind of delve deeper into some other things, you could explore the setting a more, a bit more nuanced. And that's kind of what you need to, well, obviously you don't need to do it, but it's kind of like, that's the opportunity that's there for you. Mm. If you're going to go into these settings that are kind of very, very firmly established, try to break new ground. Like wh what are you exploring there and what's going on? Brings that new life to it. I really like what, what you said, Patty, and what Phoenix expanded on, which is, it is all right if you take a setting that has been done before, but do try to shed new light on it or just focus on other aspects of the story that are not just you trying to have your story be carried by the fact that people like to read that specific kind of setting. They like they feel like reading the spaceship story. Okay, but give me something that I either haven't seen or just really execute it well. Mm. As far as... Uh, imitating historical uh, periods of time, especially now reading uh, Wolf Hall and Hilary Mantle, I, I, gotta, I gotta give a piece of advice for some of the writers. If you're gonna write uh, a story, a fantasy, a sci-fi that imitates a time period, the more you know, the better your writing is gonna be. Now, that doesn't mean I want an info dump on page three explaining how, your, uh, how a horse is being treated, patted down, cleaned up, given his oats and all that stuff. But even the more you know, the more authentic details you can give me. Like Alex was saying before, you can triangulate me with these little details and make me feel like I am mm. somewhere real and not like one of these plays in theater where the whole background is just painted on a on cardboard and you feel like, yeah, it's supposed to look like a castle, but it ain't. Mm. That's something I would recommend. Yeah. Any other thoughts on tropes, things to avoid, or maybe just advice on how to make something feel fresh, guys? Yeah, like building on what you said, it like... Yeah, if you have the knowledge about something like, okay, just because you're not going to explain how the horse is patted down and, you know, like fixed up and taken off to the stable and stuff, doesn't mean you shouldn't know. You should know and then be able to say in one sentence something that conveys all that is required of that, mm -hmm. you know? Patrick Rothfuss has a really good quote about this, and I think he takes it a bit far. He's like, if you've got ore in your thing, you should know all like about the whole process of where the ore is going. And And I'm like, well, that's maybe a bit much. But oh, like, well, Patrick Rothfuss took 14 years to write a book, so. Yeah, yeah, but look, there's something to that. It's a very good book. It's a very, very good book. Yep. But yeah, you should know. You should have some idea of what's going on because then you're going to be able to convey what you're saying in, in a tiny amount of information. So it's a condensation thing. It's a um, being able to convey a lot of information yes. within a very short amount of time and not have it feel like it, an info dump. So how do, you, how, how do you get that information? Do you just what? Do you go to the library and you, and you sit down oh. and you read a book? What, what, do, you, what do you guys What's do? What's a library? What's a library? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it depends what you're writing about, doesn't it? Like... You know, that's why I like writing in a modern setting because my, my library you know. is all around me. You know, I can just I can just walk outside. You know, I've recently been doing a lot of research on YouTube for my setting, and mm. if you're unfamiliar, YouTube that's y o u t u b e <laughs> dot com. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with YouTube and you manage to find us, uh, hats off to you. Uh, I got one thought. Yeah, you can obviously do a lot of research, but there's also something to be said, obviously, for writing what you know when authors write from what they know maybe they have been in the military and so they have military experience they write military fiction <laughs> but um <laughs> navy. yeah one day i'm going to write a cthulhu story that's all about cthulhu taking over the navy <laughs> please go on you do it but that can just immediately bring more life to the setting if you write from what you know mm. sounds obvious but i think a lot of people don't and i think it adds a heck of a lot of realism it's so true 
what one advice I'd give as as much as collecting information. So I went two approaches about this. Uh, one of them, obviously, the YouTube one is a YouTube is such a great place to learn mm-hmm. things, uh, especially if you find a good video maker. It's just a treat. You're not even you're enjoying yourself. I had to collect a lot of information about historical periods in a short amount of time, and there are two ways to do it. Way number one, which is surprisingly more fun than you think, read other machine. books. <laughs> read other Sorry. books, <laughs> fiction books that happen in that time frame. If you're mm-hmm. writing a book about 19th century London, surprise, surprise, there are a lot of books in that time frame that you can read and they're fiction and they're stories and they're fun. So it's mm-hmm. like doing your homework, but watching Netflix while you're doing it. It's really great. <laughs> Take whatever you see there with a grain of salt because... Hint, hint, they're writers. They don't know everything. They make mistakes too. The other thing is to just read nonfiction. And I have a hell of a doorstopper called London in the 19th Century by uh, something, something white. It's a heavy one. I think it took me years to finish it, but it goes down into such details and it's well organized. And sometimes that's what you got to do. Yeah. And it will help your writing too. You know, like suddenly you'll have Mm -hmm. a scene about, a, I don't know, a stock exchange that you didn't think you're going to have. I love seeing those surprising details in, in TV shows yeah. and books where it's like, I don't even know they had dog exchanges. I didn't know that the docks at like New England port worked like that. Mm-hmm. That sort of stuff can be surprisingly yeah. engaging. It sucks mm-hmm. you in and it builds a sense of credibility with the reader. Like in yeah. Downton Abbey, they elaborate on how ice works and how it's not that big of a thing in like the early oh. 1900s and stuff. I don't know how ice works sounds, in that time. It sounds like, fascinating. Yeah, it sounds really, we should yeah, all yeah. watch Downton Abbey just to uh, learn that. I, but you have to watch a little bit to get to the part about the ice and yeah. just, <laughs> just, just, ice just, just a warning. It's a very drama. small part of the show. So <laughs> don't go in for the ice. If you're going for the ice, you're going <laughs> but, um, but just like little details like that, where it's like, it, it really sucks you in and it builds a credibility with you feel held by the author you're like oh they're they're highlighting things i've never thought about so it's like i'm along for the ride and that's actually one area where like um when i'm doing a proofread for someone i evaluate against credibility and how much credibility the author has as well as i'm pretty sure other proofreaders it's a it's a standard category to kind of look at it's like clarity credibility those sorts of things yeah i remember with my book i i've got the, my main character work in like a cinder block plant and I wanted to really, I spent a good few days just drilling into like how cinder blocks are made. Uh, I don't have any knowledge of cinder blocks. I'm not writing from experience, but yeah, I went a little crazy with it because I love research. I didn't know if it was too much you information. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was a little bit nervous about bringing this to the open genre group where we read out our stuff and yeah. everyone was like, oh, that was really interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. It's just cinder blocks. Like they're the most mundane thing in the world. But if you drill down at the details, it feels really real. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. this guy definitely makes in the blocks. You just told me exactly how they're made. <laughs> you know, he um, definitely does. I have, a, yeah, he does. I have a teacher in university. I do a bachelor of literature and the, the head of the creative writing program. He gave us a, a meeting once and he said that he wrote a book and he wanted his character to have a, an emotional meltdown. So he went to his own psychologist and he said like, hey, what would it look like if someone has an emotional meltdown? And they spend like several hours over over time like describing all the details of what would it look like and in the end he didn't even use it but <laughs> sometimes research can even take it to the point where, you know what i don't want to write about cinder blocks mm. but do the research and find out and that's my point mm. because then you'll see is it the right thing for your story and in patty's case it was because the blocks are in yeah with that being said, I do want to uh, pop in one last question before the game because there is going to be a competitive game as usual um mm-hmm. No, I know we have some architects in the room. 
It's really just me, isn't it? Or Patty, are you an architect? Is it just me? What? Uh, not, not, you're, not, you're not, 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 not an architect. Neither of us are I'm really sorry to tell you this. Case. You're not actually an architect. <laughs> like uh, writers that plan, okay? Not literal architects. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Architects yeah, and panzers. Like, Come on, I didn't guys. know you were an architect, Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah does Ali have an architecture degree? I don't know. <laughs> okay, am, am I in a room with a bunch of panzers? Because I need to know before I ask the question. No, I plan. I plan. I'm a... You're a semi-panzer. I'm a hybrid. A half breed. Yeah, uh, do you have your a little bit. Do you have your Hold settings on. fully fleshed out before you start, or you just kind of roll with it? Like, mm, do you discover yeah, one, what much. century you're on as you go, or how do you do it? No, I I definitely have stuff planned out. Like like I said before, so settings usually inform or inspire the story itself, depending on what it is and how long it is and stuff. But no, you usually. Usually I'll think I'll, I'll be walking along and I'll see something like, oh, that'd be cool. Like one of them was set at a gas station and that played a big part of that. Could I have set that somewhere else? Probably, but it wouldn't have had anywhere near to the same feel. You know, one was just a, the book I wrote actually was like set just near to my parents' house and like a little lagoon that's near there. So yeah, I would say 95% of, of what is happening is kind of set up before that. Before I let the other two jump in, Alex, I want to ask you specifically, because you have your manuscript yep. challenger. I don't want to spoil it because yep. one day it's going to yeah, come yeah. out. Uh, <laughs> this is like probably the heaviest workload you've ever done for world building is challenger. Yeah. Because you yeah. created a world that is, it's it's nothing like our own. It's like way, way further. I mean, it is like our own, but it is very, yeah, how yeah, much, yeah. Australia how, how itself, solidified yeah, was this world before you started typing chapter one and how much of it came later? I'd say a lot of it because the way I actually write is that usually things will come from a seed. So I'll do a short story first. And in this case, I did one mm. um, called, I think it was called Oceanland. And it was about like this aquarium in the middle of this like post-apocalyptic city that had like a mechanical killer whale as the main attraction. But, like, oh yeah, I read that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so it that, goes... I want 100%. Yeah. yeah, and 100% came from that. So the, the setting, I was like, oh, okay. And then they have like big tubes that go over the city and that's kind of... So yeah, I'd say a lot of it was like, I didn't have a map or anything. I'm not a, I'm not a map drawer. It's my thing. <laughs> um, but you'll, ne you'll never find a map at the beginning of it. I have a map room. <laughs> That's fine. I appreciate that for some people it's really integral to it and that's 100% cool, but it's it's just not my thing personally. Um, yeah, so I had this like really like, you know, I figured out like how people would get to parts of the city and there was teleportation and sometimes you just like take this big tube that was like protected from irradiation and stuff. So like, yeah, the answer is a lot. A lot of it was already pre-planned out. So there wasn't a lot where I'd have to sit down and go like, mm, hmm. what about that? That was more plotting sort of stuff. So yeah. Fair enough. Um, Phoenix? I'll, yeah, I actually, th this is a funny question to answer at this time because the, one of the <laughs> big works that I'm working on right now, the setting is something I'm actively exploring because the, the book more so was inspired by an idea, a certain like evolutionary circumstance that sort yep. of, yeah. Uh, so from there, I'm actually, and it was inspired by a short story as well. And in the short story, the setting is actually dramatically different from the setting I'm exploring in the larger work. And hmm. I'm not divorcing the two. Like, I'm actually bringing them together. I'm trying to, I actually am trying to weave in two different cultures that kind of very heavily contradict one another. Um, so it's it's a very muddy setting. And I'm actually exploring it and thinking about it as we're talking about it right now, because it's like a lot of the greater world research that I'm doing to help flush out the world is actually more so like geographical, more scientific based research. Like 
I do have a map for my world and the map has actually greatly informed. Yeah. The map has actually greatly informed a lot of the setting and a lot of the cultural implications because you have certain mountain ranges and certain locations for where there are bodies of water. And based off of that, like I actually did a lot of research into global wind patterns and how that shapes the terrain and things like that. So, yeah, I don't want to spoil it because you you have one of the most unique settings I've ever seen. uh, And I don't want anyone to steal it. It is very unique, but it is such a hard mode kind of story Mm. to write that. (laughs) It is like mm. writing with your hands tied behind your back because the setting affects every single scene. Mm. It's like I can have a setting of medieval England, but I can still have two blokes sitting in a pub. And it would be like any other two blokes sitting in a pub, except that they're drinking from tan cards and not pints. Or maybe they are mm. drinking from pints. But your setting is inescapable. Like mm. it has to affect every single thing that comes out of your keyboard, right? Yeah. Well, the, the thing is that in terms of like, I'll, say, I'll call it the condition. In terms of the condition, <laughs> the, the point that's informing these things, that's actually not a very crippling thing for me. And it's actually making oh. things inherently easier because it affects how I describe everything. So it's like, it's actually a pretty great writing prompt that actually in general, I would, I'm not going to say right now because I do want to keep it kind of on the hush, down. Hush. It, it, we're still having some time together. So I'm not going to bring that out right now. But like, I do want to recommend it as kind of a writing technique is like, it's kind of like deprivation in order to enhance how you describe something. Because in the end, it's like you don't need to describe. It, it just changes your pattern of thinking about certain objects kind of inherently. So. Here's a challenge for fantasy writers. Describe your characters without describing the color of their hair. Let's see you do it. <laughs> yeah. Or their eyes. Or their eyes. <laughs> the uh, But in terms of the actual world and like what time it's in, I've really put nice. myself in quite an interesting space. And I'm, ex- I'm actively exploring it as I go. The setting was not flushed out at all I just, from the start. I just love your attitude about it. It's such a phoenix attitude to it. Like I would be here with a with a half finished bottle of vodka, like complaining to you guys, why did I do this to myself? And you're just sitting <laughs> here, yeah, you know, it's actually kind of nice. Um <laughs> Patty, you want to finish us off on that? Yeah, I got my start in writing basically by being a forever DM, a dungeon master. We mentioned Dungeon Dragons before. I actually play the game and have for a very long time. In in the world of Dungeon Dragons, there's a tendency for some uh dungeon masters who are the people that run and make the game and people that want to be dungeon masters to endlessly just make content for their world they make these huge elaborate sprawling settings that the players are never going to (laughs) see on this facebook group called the world builder sanctum where a lot of people just endlessly iterate and make these worlds that i really doubt most of them will ever see the light of day beyond that facebook group if you enjoy doing that that's fine But I think there's a trap you can get into with world building where you need to plan out everything. You need to know exactly what the world is going to do. And I think maybe because I've gone down that path myself a little bit with dungeon mastering and be like, oh, no one cares and no one's seen this stuff anyway. Hmm. Now my world building, my settings are all just a function of the plot. I I tend to write to theme. I'll have like a central theme or idea that I want to explore. And then the world comes out of whatever is most useful or conducive to exploring that theme. That's Mm. how it is. What's the city like? Yeah. Well, if it's run down, that reinforces the theme, so I'll make it run down. S- stuff like that. Nice. So no, I I don't put a lot of thought into world building. It it happens as just a functional part but of. But you do you do world build a lot. It's just your attitude towards it is more organic. Like what will reinforce my theme? Like you said, if the city is run down, it's not like you ignore. Yeah. The setting. Your setting is actually very vivid. You just I yeah, guess the you, way it comes out yeah. of you. 
I'd describe mm-hmm. it as functional more than organic. Yeah. The world building is just totally functional. It's in conversation with the theme. Mm. You know, that's there we go. That's it's, a nice it's a, a reaction. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's, a, it's rea- a conversation, but it's one of those conversations where someone's just talking at you and you're just listening and nodding. <laughs> the, the setting is listening and nodding to what the yes. theme is saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, that's true. I'll just say before we jump into the game. The my world building, my setting building, building. I do a lot of research beforehand, temporal, uh, cultural, all that kind of stuff. But I am very, very flexible with rewriting and reshaping my world. Pretty similar to what Patty does. Like maybe I will have a word document with fifty pages explaining the economy. But if at some point I'd feel like you know what they need, they need loans from goblins. Then suddenly there will be loans from goblins in my in my book, and I will be open to it even if it means I'm in conflict with my word docs. So that's something that works for me. Any last comments? Anton, can I ask, yeah. do, you, uh, do you find that once you've done the word docs and things, and then when you get to the writing part, do you find that you do draw on that a lot? Or does it often just, you'll, you'll take a left turn and it just, you won't use that material? I feel like the word docs are like me speeding up my DeLorean to time travel. Like I need that momentum. Like yeah, I, okay. I leap off the word docs into you use the it to get You use it to get mm-hmm. ahead of steam. Okay, yeah, they're fair enough. That's, yeah, that's fair. To rev up, you know, to get myself drooling, like, man, I want to write this book. But yeah, okay. uh, how many times do I go back and look at them? Not, not all of them, not often. The maps I do, because street names and stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. I believe we have arrived. Are we ready for the game? It is a competition. Okay. Hello and welcome to the... It's loading. To the setting game. Woo-hoo. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, nice. uh, we have this James's nice. name because James was supposed to be here, but he's not, but that's fine. Here is the game. I will give you a hint. Either a physical setting, a temporal setting, or a cultural setting. And you have to say which book I am describing. Now, Whoa. some of them are going to be super easy. For example, if I tell you a story happens, actually, I'm going to save that for number one. Number one is going to be easy. Do you understand the rules? Do we yes. ding in or like how, how do, do we just yell it out or? You yell it out and I write down who had it. Okay. Whoever's yeah. loudest gets the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always whoever's the loudest. If the physical or cultural setting is not enough, I will throw in another one, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yep. Cool. The prize of today is to be uh, the host of the next podcast. So whoever wins, oh. you're ready. Okay. Oh. Yes. I, yeah, I can see Alex. We have Alex's a schedule. Eyes <laughs> don't tell them about the schedule. Thing. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> We're in the schedule. All right. Okay. I swear the first one is so easy. If you pay attention, you should scream it before I finish my sentence. Actually, right. don't scream before I finish my sentence. Story number one takes place in a mansion. This is a physical one called Hill House. The Haunting of Hill House. House? Thank you, Phoenix. See how easy that was? Next one, we're going to start a bit harder. I'm giving you only temporal. If you guys will squirm, I'll give you physical. All right. 13th century England. Plausibly 12th, if you want to argue that. Vikings? TV show? Can be movies, books, TV, Netflix, comic book, all, all on the table. All right. We need a little we have more. Another yeah, a little bit. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, I gave you temporal. I'm giving you physical. Once I say physical, you guys are gonna get it. A beautiful evergreen forest outside Nottingham. Oh, Robin Hood. Oh, Hood. Robin Hood. Who said Robin Hood first? I think it was Alex. I mean, Alex, or was it? It's up to you, Matan. I can't like. I'm giving it to Alex. I heard Alex saying Robin Hood as I was saying it, so that tells me he said it first. All right. Uh, Thank you for that vote of confidence and candor, Phoenix. <laughs> mm, I, I'm a gentleman first. Oh. <laughs> I'm giving you the next one. Easy, easy peasy, all right? This one happens... Oh, it's so easy. I should have started with that. This one takes place 
in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars. Star Wars. That's Patty. Okay, we're heating up. It's not going to stay easy, all right? Bring it. This one happens. Okay, I'm giving you physical setting. Scotland. Oh, Highlander? Yeah. No? That's the name of the book. <laughs> okay, do you guys want cultural? or do... Okay, I'm giving you temporal settings. Temporal, okay? Okay. okay 90s. Right. Oh, train spotting. I should have put that. Oh. No. no, 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 it's not that one. All right. Oh, uh, Outlander. That's the name of the book. That's what I wanted to say. Not, not that one. Okay. Outlander. Okay, you ready for the cultural one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, be ready to scream your answer. It is culturally acceptable for 11-year-old kids to live in a boarding school without their parents. All of them. In Scotland. Harry Potter? In the 90s. Harry Potter, thank you. Wait, that's not oh, Scotland. Surely. Yeah. It is. is Hogwarts it? is in Scotland. Is it? Yeah. No. It's, well, I, I mean, I guess, I guess Maggie Scotland. Smith has an Edinburgh accent in it, but I no, I wouldn't have guessed that. I, they're Hogwarts all is clearly Scotland, guys. There's I like one. J.K. Rowling is from Scotland. What do you mean? There's one Scottish no, person not, at Hogwarts. What well, Scotland, my friend, it is part of the UK. Yeah, but it's Britain. not. You're gonna not get in trouble for that. Mitchell. You're gonna get cancelled. <laughs> uh, all right, oh, I should have said UK. Hold, hold on. Pause the game. There's one guy with a Scottish accent, and it's a big deal in the book because it's yeah. Seamus. Like he's the only. Right. Scottish Phoenix, the important thing is I got it right. The important okay. thing is I got a point. Can't we, Can we come together around that, guys? I am. Yeah, no, this is a dictatorship. This is not a. I don't know what you thought of this. It is a dictatorship. All right. All right. Okay. Let's keep going. I was going to say Harry Potter when you said 90s, just because it's 90s. But I was yeah, like, well, go, it's yeah. Scotland, so it's well, not. I thought I had a good guess Ooh, with train slow. spotting. <laughs> that was a little it's physical, there. physical, physical. The physical settings is a hotel in Shining. winter. Shining? Wow, that was... I didn't even the get The Grand the Budapest ones. Hotel. Okay. Which is a great film. Shining. Yes. Patty's three. Okay. Next mm-hmm. one. The start takes place in a dictatorship led by a queen. That's the cultural... A very violent queen. Oh, Alice uh, in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh. The death penalty is allowed. That's, that was I was going to say the line, the witch, and the wardrobe. Off with her head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah also. All right. I didn't even get to the one about the rabbit hole. Okay. I'll let you guys pick. What do you want? Cultural, temporal, or physical? Cultural. Cultural, yeah. Cultural? Like All right. Uh, jazz era. Oh, Greg Gatsby. What? No. Have you seen my page? Because there's no way you just got that. <laughs> Come on, Matan. You, you, you have a staple. You got a list, man. How'd you get that? It's probably like a really good testament to how good the setting yeah, development is in Great Scott. Yeah, that's just to associate that. the jazz era with this one book. Like, this right. nailed the setting. Phoenix, you got some catching up to do, my friend. I'm still salty about Harry Potter. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> He's typing in like, is Hogwarts set in Scotland? It's three for Patty, three for Alex, and a very good one for Phoenix. Okay? It's mm. a good one. It is a good one. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you cultural. Kids can do whatever the hell they want. Jimmy Neutron. Lord of the Flies. <laughs> wow, that is very differently. Peter Pan? Yes. Oh, on, nice Patty. one. Yeah, good one. What did you say, Phoenix? Jimmy Neutron. I, I was There's just going to say the Jimmy, Jimmy Neutron, Neutron movie. Lord of the Flies. Yeah. It's very different. Kids can oh, do whatever they cut. want. Yeah. That's a deep cut. Yeah, that's <laughs> a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We got cultural, cultural, and physical for the next one. Which one do you want? Physical. Physical. Africa. Blood Diamond? Black Panther? Uh, where the Crawdads Sing. You guys really overestimate my my backlog of reading, don't you? <laughs> like you guys are making uh, me look darkness? smart. Okay, I'm gonna be more specific. I'm gonna be more specific. Once I say it, you guys should be spitting at the answer. Pride Rock. Lion oh, King. Oh, Lion King. There we go. Boom. Okay. Okay. Sorry, here we go. The Lion King. This is fun. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Ready? Yep. Physical, 
cultural or temporal? Cultural. Temporal. Cultural? Okay, what well, Our culture. Hard. Our culture. Oh. Our culture. Okay, the slap. <laughs> the slap. <laughs> or, I mean, uh, our culture. Bill. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you temporal. I don't actually have a cultural for that one. Uh, hmm. Gonna be, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say 19th century. Uh, no, 20th century. Between 1800 and and, and 1900. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Frankenstein. <laughs> okay, that's not, that's not gonna fly. Down to uh, maybe. No, that's this, after. The story begins in Spain. You mean 1900 or the 1900s? 1900. Uh, okay, guys, let's do physical. We're gonna have to do physical here. <laughs> okay. okay. There's only really physical for this one. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, starts in Spain, goes to Egypt, goes back to Spain. Oh. Oh, uh, the mummy? Matter. Does the mummy start in Spain? I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> Got more, spe- more specifically, um, from the Andalusian oh, hills to the pyramids. Oh, no, I got nothing. I got nothing. Come on. Can we have another one? <laughs> or or a, a cultural cool? setting? A cultural setting. Without saying the name. The wind is a sentient being with powers that you can pray to. Oh, uh... The Alchemist. Yes. Oh yeah. Let's okay. Go. Oh, it's been ages since I've read that. It's a good oh, one. I don't know what that good is. job, Phoenix. Ooh. All right. I really only have physical for the next one. I'm gonna save you the question. Uh, Colombia. Narcos. Nar- That's what I was gonna guess. Okay. No, okay. I'm gonna uh... say the name. I'm gonna say the name. Let's see who read this. Macondo. Thousand years of solitude. Oh. First of all, a thousand what? years of solitude would be a hundred years of solitude. Thank you. Okay. I'm off. I'm by still it. giving it yeah. to Patty. Yeah, like, no, Phoenix got that. Yeah, as if by uh, order of magnitude. zero, it's fine. So we're giving Phoenix or or Patty the hundred. I, I was saying I would give it to oh, Patty just because. I think it's Patty. I think Patty got yeah. that. A thousand, a million, whatever. He's he spent a long time by himself. Who needs That's to know the name of that? Well, Garcia uh, Marquez. I'm I'm happy to announce that we have a winner, Patty. Wow. Yeah, first to five, and and I'm out of I'm out of things, but <laughs> that Very was it. Good. Uh, very well done, mm-hmm. Patty. I'm very proud of you. Uh, I always believed in you. Uh, the like winner of the setting games and the host of the next part. So I hope you have something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you, listeners, for listening to all of our discussion about settings. Before we go, I'll just say um, we still have the new Mythic on Amazon. Uh, please look us up. It's such a great anthology of of stories twice award nominated at some point in the near future we'll link you up with alex's uh sold story the big issue uh whether it comes digitally i'm not sure but it can be ordered right yeah we'll we'll find a way to do it. it's probably online somewhere and finally please if you enjoyed even a fraction of our uh, mumbling and muttering please leave a review on uh the pros and cons on whatever platform you use spotify apple whatever just leave five stars we'll be very appreciative and hit us up Email us, comment, uh, tell mm-hmm. us what you'd like to hear from us. Thank you for listening. We were the Pros and Cons podcast. I got something I got to say, Matan. And please, Phoenix. Hogwarts is in Scotland. Yes! I knew it. Wow. I looked okay. it up. What's the point? Wow. I don't know. <laughs> and with that, listeners, with my final <laughs> with my final and complete victory, I bid you goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. You're listening to Pros and Cons, the Precipice Fiction Podcast.